Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates from General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery, and I want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us as we learn together now what it means to be Free Methodists in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. April 13th, 2020. This is episode 145. Hopefully this episode finds you healthy and staying safe and um, just uh, finding joy and and hope during this time. I know that uh, for many, yesterday, which was Easter, was a hard time for many different reasons. You know, it's a time where we expect to see friends and family and church church family get together um, more than possibly any other day of the year. Um, we see all sorts of people that come into the church on Easter. Um, you know, a similar one would be, I guess, uh, Christmas Eve. But, you know, people come who haven't come in a year. They come on that day, right? Family members uh, come on that day. And so it is a day of, of feeling close together, of community, um, for so many different reasons. And, um, you know, I know that was hard for many individuals and, and many people who... Um, go to our free Methodist churches, but uh, there were different kinds of online responses this year, and I wanted to just share with you for just a moment here one news report that I was watching this morning from the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara and some of the things that they did during this Easter. You'll hear from the voices of Colleen um, Hurley Bates, she is the pastor there, and then also the youth pastor Doug Rank will be on there as well. So you'll hear a couple different voices. And actually, they have a, they had interviewed a few of the uh, members of the church, and you could tell they were kind of all in separate places, all practicing that social distancing, keeping far apart. One of the members was like in a garden or something, and then you had Doug standing in front of the church, and then uh, Colleen was in an office. And so yes, they are uh, separated, but uh, some of them were able to. So listen to this for a moment and hear what uh, one Free Methodist Church ended up doing yesterday to bring the people closer together. This has been a very different Easter for those celebrating one of the most important holidays on the Christian calendar. News Channel reporter Blake Devine shows us one Santa Barbara church that celebrated safely. Easter Sunday services are typically among the largest of the year at any church. In Santa Barbara and around the globe, services this year are virtual. Via screen. Live streaming is the new reality. I woke up this morning feeling like I was going to be together with a bunch of people, even though I knew that wasn't true. But yet it's a, it's a very different feeling to, to not be together with people that you've known for so many years. The toughest part about not being in the building at church is just not being with everyone and hearing everyone sing. And we miss that. On a typical Sunday, this place would be packed with people singing songs of worship. Now it's empty as everyone is at home streaming the church service. However sad it's been to not be together, for me it's been a good reminder that we are more than the building. Being online for watching church services has really been fantastic just to see people we know and to stay engaged with uh, the music and with the songs. 
Throughout its Sunday service, the church successfully blended together numerous voices to create synchronized songs. It's very easy to do two or three people and have a single guitarist or a singer, uh, but today we tried to go all out with our church families and get them involved. What an amazing thing that we can still lift our voices, and knowing that people are at home lifting their voices, you know, when everyone came on screen, again, I started crying. While church members say it remains tough not being together, they see their online service bring bringing people together in spirit. The hope of Easter brings great joy to our people and gives them hope. In Santa Barbara, I'm News Channel reporter Blake Devine. And that's a great example of the imagination that uh, each and every one of us in these church in the churches need to kind of come into. Um, you know, how can we grow closer, stay closer together during this time? That is the question, and many of you, as we've just heard an example of, are, are finding answers to that. You're finding, finding possibilities. Um, so not only have individual churches been responding and offering things to do during this time, um, resources, those types of things, uh, but also ministries and groups. Um, so one of those that I'm talking about is the Set Free Movement, um, our movement to end modern-day slavery. And so they have actually, just this past week, uh, ha- released a separate section of their website. Uh, so it's setfreemovement.com slash COVID-19. I'll put a link to each of the things I'm talking about today in the show notes so you can go ahead and just click on them. But um, they have their own separate website, and they're offering a couple different things during this time under three different kind of banners, headers. Uh, one is learn, one is pray, and one is serve. And so underneath each of those areas, um, learn, pray, and serve, then they have some different things that you could be doing. You know, here are some ways to pray for the church. Here are ways to pray for Set Free. Here are ways that you can still serve, you know, during this time. Um, so, and then there's a message at the very bottom of the page from Kevin Austin, who's the director of the Set Free Movement. But I wanted to bring that up just so you're aware of it. You can, you know, use that as a resource and check in during this time. Um, but also I wanted to say a special thanks to Kevin and the team at Set Free because underneath the Learn section, there are quite a few uh, links to our podcast here. Um, and so we've actually done uh, maybe uh, five or six different interviews with people from all over the, the globe um, on Set Free Movement and so over the years, over the last few years. And so he put links to all of those so people can kind of hear about different ministries. Uh, he also linked to our more recent episodes uh, on the coronavirus a few weeks ago that we talked about, and then um, the last week's episode with Bishop Whitehead as well, where we discussed some related matters to to the virus. And so, um, yeah, I just want to say thanks again to Set Free Movement for uh, including us in that and and thinking of us during this time. Um, that's what you know continues to to make me want to 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 do this podcast is to share with you and and. Um, it's it's a hard thing to do if, if I'm just, you know, hearing only from myself all the time. Um, but when I hear from, from you, when I hear from all of you guys uh, as far as your response or how a certain episode or an interview or something helped you in some way, that allows me to have that, you know, encouragement to continue forward. Um, so... I mentioned that there are different groups and, and people uh, responding and offering opportunities during this time. One of them was the Set Free Movement, but also 
Uh, there are some other events that are coming up at the end of this month that will be, I think, pretty important for especially leaders, but really, I would say anybody in the Free Methodist Church. One of them is called the Live Stream for Awakening. This is going to happen on Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern on April 16th. And it's going to happen uh, live from the FMC USA Facebook page. It's going to be hosted by three individuals. David Thomas, who is the director of New Room, J.D. Walt, who is the author of the Seedbed Daily Text, and also Brett Heinzman, who, of course, is the uh, communications director and also the director of the National Prayer Ministry of the FMC USA. So what they're going to be doing there is they're going to be uh, talking about this question. How does the global the current global situation inform our praying for a great spiritual awakening in our day. So this this uh, live stream for awakening on Thursday, April 16th is going to be focused around, it's going to be hosted by the National Prayer Ministry, it's going to be focused around prayer. How do we specifically pray during this time? Now, um, that's not the only live stream that's going to be happening because uh, about a week after that, in fact, I think exactly a week after that, uh, on Thursday, April 23rd at 7 p.m., Eastern. Uh, there will be a Facebook Live on, once again, FMC USA uh, Facebook page, and it will be called Embracing Opportunities, Embracing Our Opportunities, and it's a live stream with the bishops. And this is a very, gonna, it looks like it's going to be a very practical uh, next steps guide hosted by our bishops. Um, so this kind of subtitle tagline to this is moving ahead in this new season of ministry. So this challenge, this time that we have also provides great opportunities. And actually in just a few moments here, when we transition into our interview, we're going to talk to Bishop Keith Cowart about a lot of different things, but some of the things we're going to talk to him about are, are those opportunities, those increased opportunities that we have here. Um, and, and so I'm excited to hear from all three of the bishops together, uh, at the same time, on the 23rd at seven o'clock and um you know because we we all know this will with this will move on something new will will happen um with this and you know we will end up being able to return to the churches and stores and restaurants and all that but the question is do we want to just go back to business as usual and i know there are many out there that are saying oh yeah we want to get back to the ways we've always done things but the question is has this time afforded us a new opportunity and I think many of us are saying the answer is yes, there's, there would be a problem, or in other words, we wouldn't be able to reach as many people if we just went back to the way we always had done things after this. That's not to say that uh, we shouldn't meet in buildings or sing songs or do sermons. You know, all those things are great. But there are some new opportunities that this has provided us for the gospel. So when things do begin to return to normal, uh, it, it may be very real that some new things need to happen. And so this is going to be one of the the possibilities, this embracing opportunities um, for us to hear from the bishops and to kind of start to imagine what kind of things might we do? How might we reach more people in the wake of all of this? So again, those events will happen on April 16th and then a week later on April 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern um, on the Facebook Live page for FMC USA. Um, so yeah, so those are those are a lot of different things that are going that are going on that are coming up, and it's exciting to have all these different resources here um, on the show. Here we are obviously uh, interviewing each of the bishops, and excited to share with you Bishop Cowart today, and then next week hear from Linda Adams. Um, but we're working on a couple other opportunities as well, and some cool things, uh, some things that 
play into this idea of not missing the opportunity. And so um, I'll be letting you know about those as soon as I know more, some of the, some of the things that we're putting together here. Um, I don't want to say anything and then it not work out, uh, but we're trying to provide these resources for you. So we do appreciate um, any time that you would be willing to share the show with your friends, uh, do a review on Apple Podcasts, anything like that, because all of that allows us to kind of get our audience, you know, more people, uh, more people listening, uh, gets our, gets our uh, growth in our audience. Okay, so anyways, all that being said, um, I am going to go on now, and I didn't have it pulled up in advance, so let's see. Okay, here we go. I wanted to pull up the April Heartbeat, which is our Free Methodist World Missions prayer guide, and I'm going to go ahead and look down. It's the 13th, so we're to pray for Asia today, and uh, it tells us to pray for Pastor Sharish, the new Free Methodist World Missions Asia church plant consultant as he begins his work with some of our leaders in Southeast Asia. Okay, well, let's go ahead and pray for him. Dear God, uh, thank you for the work of Pastor Sharish, and we thank you for the work that's happening with all the leaders in Southeast Asia right now. Um, and so as we, as we want to pray for any uh, new, new person that's coming in, and this is the church plant consultant, uh, we pray that as he's new coming into the situation that he would have the ears to hear and the and the uh, gain the wisdom from those other leaders that may have been in Southeast Asia for some time. Uh, we pray that there would be a connection right away between him and these other leaders. That uh, those who have been there for a while would would kind of teach him so that he can do what he does best, and then in turn that these leaders that have been there for a while would learn from him the the wisdom that he has uh, for how they can now plant new churches and reach new people in this place. And so um, as he begins this work here, I just pray that there would be a mutual moving forward um, with the gospel and that, that they would come together under, under your plan and your, your, uh, your, your mission for, for the people. Uh, and we just pray that ultimately uh, this wouldn't result in just a bunch of new buildings being opened up, and you know we could say, oh, there were two new new churches, new new places that opened up this year in in uh, Asia, but that it would be an actual transformation that people's lives would be changed through this, and that's what we really want to see. Um, that people's lives are being touched and transformed, um, not just buildings being opened or or um, gatherings opened up. So uh, we just pray that you'll be with them and help guide them during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll be right back with Bishop Keith Cowart. This is Matt Whitehead, and you're listening to FMC Radio. Well, we've been uh, talking to each of the bishops here on the show, and just uh, now that their lives have slowed down just a little bit during this time, we have the chance to, to speak to them and, and hear what's been going on and what get some um, encouragement during this time in our lives. And I'm excited to talk to Bishop Keith Cowart with us today. And uh, Bishop Cowart, thanks for coming on and talking to us. Yeah, looking forward to it, Josh. It's good to be with you. Yeah. Um, so I want to... Uh, I. I I want to kind of go back in time, and we were talking to the other bishops about this same type of thing, going back to um, General Conference this past summer and hearing your take on events, and it's kind of surreal in, in, 
uh, especially early on. And I was talking with Bishop Whitehead about this, about, you know, when those first, when the results first appeared up on the screen, it was kind of small. It's like, okay, we're taking in a lot of information at once and what's going on, who's elected. Uh, So tell us about um, those first moments and kind of that realization that you're bishop and and then um, your first several months as bishop of the Free Methodist Church. Sure. Yeah, no, no question. It was, um, you know, it was, it was a really odd thing to be sitting there and realizing that in just a moment, our future is going to be determined. Um, and it's out of, it's out of our hands. Um, and everybody in the room is going to know it at the same moment that we know it. Um, I've never, I've never had a, a job change that happened that way, obviously. And it was a completely unique and very different setting. Um, you know, we went, we went into it trying to just be completely open-handed. We were perfectly happy to stay in the superintendency role, quite frankly, excited about that role. And, and, and I would say, uh, really thought we would continue in that role. Um, so, you know, we weren't really, uh, anticipating that uh, the result would be what it was. Um, but we were ready for that as well. We had come to a place of really surrendering to the Lord and just saying, you know, Lord, we want to give our, our whole hearts to wherever you want us to be. And so when that vote came back and we realized, okay, we're about to change course, you know, for us, it was, we pastored one church for 21 years. And so mm-hmm. we were, uh, we, our, our last, year and a half have just been completely opposite of the previous 21 so we had stability for 21 years and then all of a sudden you know we just took the superintendent role six months later seven months later bishop and it's just been very very different but the lord has been faithful in it and and it's been trying at times but very good uh as i'm sure Matt and Linda also referenced, you know, we didn't start officially until October, Yeah. but there's another sense in which we started the, I mean, the very day. I mean, the rest of general conference was consumed with, you know, getting, uh, oriented and the next week was, get, was orientation. And, and then we had the, you know, the responsibility to, over the next six weeks to find my replacement, you know, as superintendent. And it turned out to be Mike McAvoy that is, is doing an outstanding job. Mike's going to be great in that role. Um, and so for, you know, about a month and a half, two months there, we were kind of wearing two hats um, and uh, trying to get oriented to the bishop role, but then at the same time trying to hand off the role we were in. So that was trying just because, it, you know, our attention, our focus was divided. Starting in October, it was 100% focused on the bishop role. Um, and I'll definitely say that, you know, the first few months of that were very definitely overwhelming in terms of just trying to trying to wrap my head around, you know, what is what all is involved in this role? It's like there were so many unknowns, so many, every day was new, every experience was new. Um, but it was a learning experience and every experience, um, helped me to get a better sense. And, uh, so, you know, the first few months were, were pretty intense. Um, a lot of travel involved home, very little, 
And honestly, March, April, May, June, we're going to be the same way, not home more than a few days a month. Mm. And then, of course, the COVID crisis hit. For me, it actually started a little earlier than for some because I had gone to Egypt. Um, Part of one of my world areas is the Middle East, and so I was in Egypt. And we were in Luxor when there was an outbreak, and we had been around gobs of tourists and so we had to come home early and I had to self-quarantine for 14 days Um, of course I was able to work by internet um, but then we've essentially been self-quarantined since uh, that that time frame got over so we went from 100 miles an hour to just from a travel standpoint completely stopped and uh, it's been you know, uh, uh, this season has been very interesting. I, I can go into that more, but you're you were asking really about the the beginnings of things and, and how the first few months have gone. Uh, uh, this crisis has just brought a whole different, unexpected um, twist to the whole thing. Yeah, definitely, because it's it's like okay, you're you have what was it? How, how many years pastoring? Twenty six? Is that what you said? Well, 21, 21, pastoring Christ Community. We okay. planted Christ Community. I had pastored uh, five years prior to that in, in another denomination, okay. um, but 21 years of pastoring Christ Community. So the, yeah, so the 21 years there, um, and then you have to shift to superintendency, then you have to ship, shift to, to bishop and kind of learning what that's all about, and now, mm-hmm. right, right, and you're getting into the mix, mix of that, now it's this okay. shift to, oh, here's this new thing right. uh, aspect. So it's it's right. really all these shifts, um, yeah. and this, this time, um, this strange time um, set aside, in terms of the, you know, because when, when this clears up, you will theoretically and god willing get back to that schedule again you're going to be going out to egypt or wherever you're going to be visiting conferences so during that time of you know hustling and bustling and and craziness um is there some sort of practice in your life or how do you uh slow down in terms of not get overwhelmed by all of the the busyness and the travel and the on the go yeah um uh so how do we yeah, you know, it was. It's very different. I mean, there's no doubt. Um, the two biggest challenges to me, and I think um, uh, Bishop Matt and Bishop Linda would would agree, is that number one, there are no there are no patterns. There, I mean, there are no rhythms. You know, in the pastor, you have these rhythms. You know, every Sunday there's church, and every Tuesday there's staff meeting, and every Wednesday there's teaching team, and you have all these rhythms. Mm. Uh, of course, there's always unknowns and unexpected to jump in, and so it's it's not like it's routine, but there are rhythms. This job essentially has no weekly rhythms. Every week is unique. Every uh, every week is different. You know, it might be in another part of the world or we're meeting with conference leadership in, in the states or we're, it's, it's just different and yeah. then the other related challenge to that is community um you have no built-in community you're not in the same place for more than a few days at a time so it's very difficult to find community in the midst of this role um mm. you know this covid crisis has definitely given us a window to um, uh, to get some rhythm and to build some community, uh, I think the trick is going to be what do we learn from this season? And you know, I, I think 
to some degree, one of the things that I pray we're, we're learning is that we need to make some adjustments to the way we think about this role. Um, I, I don't know that the other way was uh, was healthy, um, and I'm not sure it's even as effective. I mean, we're finding we can do real work um, from a distance. And not that, I mean, there, I will also say, there's no question that there's some things that have to be done face to face and they're mm-hmm. just much, much better. It's when you, when you're trying to build relationships, build trust, it's very difficult to do through zoom. Yeah, but when you've got true. solid established relationships, uh, you can do, do great work through zoom. Um, so it's not going to be an either or, it'll be a both and, but I do hope we come out of this with some sense that maybe we need to lean a little bit more in the other direction mm. and recognize that we can do more so that we're not on the road 25 days a month. Um, you know, I think there's, we're just going to have to make some changes if we want to bring a little more rhythm and a little more community. Um, you know, obviously, uh, my wife can travel with me. That's a huge blessing. Um, so we're good, you know, but, uh, friendships and community are, are difficult. Um, but I hope there are things that we will event, we will end up learning from this season that could help us to possibly think about the future in some different ways. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I hear many people saying that on the local church level, um, just people in their individual family life, um, just saying, okay, really, we're learning so much and, and finding out so much that is has always been there, those possibilities, but they're revealed during times like this in so many ways. And so it's yep. the question of, like you said, it's the question of, okay, now, are we just going to go back to business as usual? In some ways, that's good. But in other ways, it's like, well, actually, there are some other uh, ways to do this that are more uh, life-giving and healthy, possibly, than just going, right. going, going, even on a family level. Um, of, right. Do we really have to do all those all those things, or should we kind of focus back in on a few things, doing well, yep. key things? Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's great. And I guess um, one thing... I Can I make one more comment on oh, that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Briefly. We just, uh, it's really providential, but we had begun to consider engaging with a consultant. There's someone I've known for many, many years, a guy named Will Mancini. And um, uh, Will had worked with us at Christ Community 15, 16 years ago. And I didn't realize, but he had shifted his focus to working with denominations and networks. And we had just begun to see, you know, there's some things we, we, we really need to look at the depths of our of our tribe and, and our structures, our systems, how we're communicating uh, vision and those kinds of things. And we just really felt like there's a, a need to do a deep dive into those and really to think creatively what can be done differently. And so we had already started talking with Will, and then this happened. We have contracted with Will. He's now working with us. And last week... He said a couple of things to us that I thought were just really right on. He said two quotes. I'm not sure where the quotes come from, but um, he said, first of all, scarcity brings clarity. In other words, when we have lots of resources, we have the luxury of doing things that we can do, but perhaps are not essential. Um, but when there's scarcity of time, scarcity of money, you know, scarcity, whatever that resource may be, scarcity forces us to ask the question, what is absolutely essential? What must I do? 
Um, and then the second thing he said was catastrophe resets everything. Uh, so he said, you know, just uh, when we go through a season like we're going through right now, we're in the perfect position to just step back and evaluate everything we're doing. Uh, we're going to be doing that at the denominational level. We don't want to miss this opportunity to say if there are changes that need to be made, now is the time to make it. And hopefully we're operating with a sense of clarity mm. that can really help us uh, to move forward well. And we can do that personally. We can do that in our homes. And certainly we've got to do that at the denominational level as well. Absolutely. It's just that ongoing conversation about opportunity that uh... – I think is the more important conversation for us to have as a whole, the opportunity versus what are the restrictions? What can't we do? What can't we do? Focusing so much on that. It's important. Um, but the opportunity conversation is, is possibly, especially long-term, even more important. Um, so as you were talking about the, um, the, the church that you planted in the 21 years there and, and everything you were doing, of course, that just speaks to um, a dedication. Um, as we know, statistically, a lot of a lot of times pastors are for different, very different reasons, different, good reasons even, um, not at a church for necessarily that long, uh, traveling around or, or going different places. But you have a dedication to that church. And in the same way, um, we saw when the leadership um, was, uh, well, when, when you and Bishop Whitehead and Adams were ordained into your roles, um, the geographical areas of leadership uh, were shifted from what they had been the past, what, six years or, or, or longer, um, probably even longer than that. Um, and you were now are now overseeing the southern states. And as far as dedication goes and, and kind of a passion for something, um, I know that you have a, a passion for uh, this southern area, and so that's why they, you've been um, put in charge of that. Um, so what makes you passionate about the south specifically? What made you say, yes, that's definitely where I want to be? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. And, you know, we were, again, very open to leading wherever the Lord opened us up. We could have certainly kept things as they were and just stayed in the east, and we probably would have stayed right where we are and operated from the south, but in the east. But after a lot of prayer, we uh, we really felt the Lord leading us to capitalize on some strengths and capitalize on relationships and restructure somewhat. That's interesting. When you say it's the South, it goes all the way from Oklahoma um, and uh, uh, you know Missouri all the way across the South, but then all the way up the East Coast, up into even Maine. So it's mm. a little. We actually kind of laughingly, uh, or jokingly call it mostly south of Linda. Um, <laughs> it's mostly south of, of Linda's area. But, um, yeah, but yeah, you know, the south thing, I do have a passion for the south. I mean, one, I've been, I was born and bred in the south. I, I know the south. And when I say that, I, I know it, um, both all the potential and all of the challenges. Um, cultural Christianity you know, the whole Bible Belt thing. Cultural mm. Christianity has had a huge, huge impact on the South, um, and, and in many respects, a negative one, because there are yeah. just way too many people in the South that would call themselves Christians simply because they say they believe in God or and maybe even go to a church, but don't really have any semblance of a relationship with Jesus Christ or evidence there's been a whole life transformation. Um, and so I have a passion for bringing that message to the South. 
but I will say this too. I think, you know, the reasons that the Free Methodist Church did not move into the South 150 years ago, issues of race and slavery, um, mm. right now are issues that I think make the Free Methodist message prime for the South. I mean, I think certainly, I mean, the racism still exists all over the country. Yeah. But I will say I do think there is a deep longing in the South for healing and for unity and to see those old strongholds of racism broken, shattered. There is a deep desire in the South for that in many quarters. Um, and, and unfortunately, in some ways, it's often not inside the church. It's often outside the church. But as a church who values racial equality, diversity, um, then we have an opportunity to, to really speak to those people who are not Christians but have that value and say, yes, that's our value, too. It gives us an open door to conversation. The second thing is that, you know, the other side of it is that as free Methodists, we do hold very deeply to the authority of God's Word. And that's still a value that a lot of people, at least in theory anyway, hold to. And so it's not hard to talk to people in the South about the authority of the Bible. So hmm. I actually think there's tremendous opportunity in the South for the free Methodist message right now that we have. Uh, this could be a season of great fruitfulness in our in our region. That's really interesting. I really like um, that and hadn't even have, hadn't given that thought because I live in in the North. Um, but to think of that, one of my hardest things personally, uh, just in so many ways that I've seen uh, in the places that I'm involved with, um, in the churches that that I'm aware of, and and the struggle comes in um, that people really don't take necessarily the Bible seriously or don't necessarily believe it. Um, so when you say, well, this is what the Bible says on this issue. Well, how do we know that, you know, and, and there's all these these buts and what ifs and whatever. But that's an interesting piece because if you start with a reality, like you said, maybe some people are over um, over the line where everybody's a Christian and whatever. But if you can get to the starting reality of, hey, this is the Bible. Okay, yeah, I believe the whole Bible is true. Uh, that that's that first that's a great first piece because then you can say okay if you believe the whole bible is true did you ever see this before no i never saw that before and now you i feel like and there's there's pros and cons to every area but the south has a leg up that maybe the north or some of the areas i'm dealing with doesn't in that you can agree upon the importance of the bible and start right there um that's right certainly certainly a great a great uh, positive thing yeah, absolutely. Now, again, the, the other side of it is too many people think that simply saying the words, I, I believe the Bible is sure. true, makes them a Christian when it uh, clearly doesn't. But For sure. At least you do have a starting point with many where, and, and I wouldn't necessarily say there's a huge, uh, broad agreement that the whole Bible is true, but there is at least respect for the Bible that it still remains in a lot of quarter, you know, quarters here. And so it gives you a, a point where you can still uh, at least have some value of the word that you can lean on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I know a little bit ago, um, speaking of different areas and different places, you were talking, of course, just recent, most recently you were in Egypt um, mm -hmm. but I don't know if you've, so it could be Egypt, maybe another place that you traveled. Um, 
under your care. Um, I know for me, I've, I've traveled a couple times to Cuba, um, but I've always seemed to learn something personally, even though I was going to help in different ways. And um, so is there something that, that you learned as you were in some of these areas that, that you could share with us today? Uh, sure. Um, you know, I'll just start by saying that one of the hallmarks of our church at Christ Community, uh, the church that we planted and led for 21 years, was missions. We were head deeply involved in missions, and, and I would say I typically traveled out of the country two or three times a year on average um, over that time frame. We had deep partnerships in Latin America, in India, in Europe, um, and so, you know, missions was not a new thing for me. Uh, I was also um, part-time volunteer or volunteer um, uh, area director of Europe for a couple of years. Um, okay. Still pastoring full-time at Christ Community, but just did that uh, as a volunteer. And so I've had a lot of exposure to world missions. Um, I'll just say generally um, someone said to me this to me years ago when I was in seminary. Uh, I asked them about go getting out of the country, and they said they said they'd come to see it as a spiritual discipline. That there was almost a sense in which they had to get out of this environment on an annual basis, just for perspective, um, just to remember what the rest of what you know what the rest of the world is like, and to be constantly challenged. So I've been a huge believer of that um, all my ministry. Uh, I believe in missions. I believe there's great, great value. I can tell you we have outstanding area directors. Um, we have outstanding national leaders around the world. Uh, every time I'm around our national leaders, I am challenged by their faith, by the depth of their commitment, and often in very, very difficult circumstances. So from just a faith standpoint, I'm constantly challenged by our national um, our national leaders in particular, our area directors as well, and our missionaries. Um, so, you know, there's uh, – it's just it, – to me, it's vitally important to have that global perspective because we can get so um, inwardly turned, ethnocentric, you know, here and think that uh, our world is – that just the, the sum total of all things, and it's just not. Um, uh, but there, you know, so I'm actually over Europe, the Middle East, and Asia, and I've been able to get into all three of those areas already. I was um, in uh, uh, Jordan uh, late last year, November, um, and Spain, and the UK um, in November. I was in Thailand, uh, in Asia, uh, in January. Um, I was in Bulgaria in February, and then I was in uh, Egypt early March. And I'm now Europe. I had a lot of background on, um, but Asia and the Middle East not so much. And the the most important thing was it gave me an opportunity to get to know our people because that's what's mm. most critical to me is our our leaders. Um, and to really understand their passion, their vision, and to understand how we as an American church can come alongside and empower them, because that's our model. Our model is to raise up national leaders and empower them. So how do we do that well? 
every one of those trips gave me a much better sense of what's going on around the world. And I'll just throw in one more thing, and Bishop Linda will love that I share this, but, you know, we've always loved ICCM and, and believe it's an outstanding ministry that does great work of feeding kids and providing for the basic needs of, of children. But particularly when I was in Asia, I got a whole different view of ICCM. Um, that you know, we were with these leaders from all over Southeast Asia, from like eight different nations, and um, the vast majority of the leaders. And I'm not just talking about the country leaders; those, yes, but also their their key leaders in their countries. The vast majority of them came up through ICCM, and I suddenly mm. realized how much of a leadership development. Um, uh, entity uh, ICCM is. I mean, it is a powerful leadership development work. And that was a new thing for me. I didn't fully understand that until I saw it firsthand. Wow. I, everything that you said, I think, is, is, is it's great to hear your personal experiences, but also it's a challenge to people. Um, it shows us kind of that that cycle of the strengths and weaknesses with so many um, so many times when we think of missions um, in general, a lot of people envision, um, okay, I'm gonna go to this place and I'm gonna bring something, my skills or, or my items or whatever. And I'm gonna help this pe- these people who are a little lesser fortunate than I am and then I'm gonna come home and tell everybody about what happened. Um, now, when people go on those trips, they, they realize something different. But in theory, you know, when, when just thinking about missions, that's the idea. I'm going to go and help somebody. But really what it ends up being is that, that uh, cycle. It's the strengths and the weaknesses of, of both. Um, and when we go, I love what you were saying there um, a few minutes ago um, about this idea of missions being a spiritual discipline, being one of the practices um, I know many people, myself included, have read through and, and um, looked at Denny Wayman's book, Discipleship Ecosystem, really looking at the, dis- mm-hmm. the disciplines yeah. and the practices. Um, and yeah. there are those core ones that everybody kind of agrees upon. But I like this idea that you said of just this consistently taking time, finding time to leave your culture. And that's really yeah. a challenge to everybody listening today. Like, how could you, obviously not right now in this current world status, but how can right. you plan right. in your future to consistently yep. leave your culture and, and challenge yourself because yep. you can almost guarantee you go into one of these other areas, any other area in the world, and you see how the church is operating and you're going to be challenged in some way, not just by what they're doing there, but to come back to your area then and do things differently or to, to be impacted. So, yeah, it's right. I love that idea. I mean, I, I wrote that down because I'm that's one of my new official spiritual disciplines on my list. So. <laughs> That's great. Now I will I will add this because uh, as one who has a, a good bit of experience in the mission world, I want to say how vitally important it is that mission teams that go from the U.S. go with a spirit of humility, uh, go with a spirit of servanthood, and go with extreme openness to whatever flexible agenda god has um because i will say sometimes missionaries and area directors are a little hesitant to send short-term teams in because we can mm-hmm. do damage yeah absolutely. Um, if we go in with this idea that we know the best the best way to do everything if we go in thinking we're the experts um we can actually do damage uh so it's extremely important 
to recognize that we there really are gifts that we can can take to those on the mission field. Yeah. Who we are, what we offer is a gift if we come with humility, a desire to serve them and to come alongside them to do whatever they feel needs to be done. Um, and if we do that with a great sense of flexibility that, you know what, the agenda could change any moment because it often does on the mission field. Yeah, absolutely so true. And that's that's indicative of all of the, the places I've been. And uh, anybody else who has been will, will definitely back that up, the same thing. It's, you had a plan. Yep. Well, now we're not doing that thing that you planned for uh, four months. That's not, we're not, that's not happening anymore. Now we're doing this. That's oh, right. okay. Um, so, absolutely. Well, um so we, we've looked back on some of some of the stuff from the past few months that has been going on and then um, talked a couple times, but I want to talk more specifically now about kind of the present time that we're in. And, um, you know, we all, all now know this, that a few weeks ago, the Board of Bishops made the decision to release the directive that all of the Free Methodist USA churches um, in-person gatherings would cease until this passes over. Um, and I know, of course, I, I assume and, and, and I'm sure I'm, I'm right on this, that it was a collective decision. <laughs> um, but you were the one that was elected to bring the news uh, via the video. So um, just tell us kind of behind the scenes a little bit of that, of, of walking through those discussions of this is, I mean, a, a real, really a historic moment to have to uh, make that request of that magnitude on video. And for you um, coming into that video, I mean, was that something that was a little uh, you were worried about? Were you kind of nervous or stressed? I mean, what, what were your thoughts going into making that? Well, yeah, it was, it was definitely a tough season. It was trying to discern the Lord's leadership. You know, on the one hand, uh, the church should be sacrificial. The church should be unafraid. Uh, the church shouldn't operate out of fear, for sure. Um, and so there's a sense in which, you know, as a church, we want to step into difficulty. We want to step into suffering and be light and salt, you know, in that moment. Uh, On the other hand, everything that we were hearing was that well-meaning contact with people put the most vulnerable at a huge risk. Mm. Um, You know, that uh, you can have it for weeks and not even know it, and you're passing it on to everybody you run into. And while most people don't get deathly ill, those who are vulnerable, it's absolutely a deadly thing. And so... The more we learned about the nature of this particular uh, disease, the more we felt that the most loving thing we could do, not out of fear, but out of love, is to say, let's not put the vulnerable at risk. Let's not create environments where we're actually um, bringing people who could get very sick or even die into a place where they're going to be vulnerable. Um, and, And it was also based on this deep understanding that the church is not limited to a building. Uh, there, you know, people, uh, you hear some people say, well, the government's trying to shut the church down. I mean, first of all, the government can't church, shut the church down. <laughs> but secondly, that's based on the idea that church is people meeting in a building. Yep. That's one of the things I pray changes as we come out of this season, that we really do come to understand we have to be the church. It's not about the place we go. It is being the people of God. And so we can do that in ways that protect the vulnerable and at the same time think creatively about how to keep doing 
church under the restrictions. And so at the end of the day, honestly, it was not a hard decision. We knew that it needed to be done. Uh, sure, you always know that there will be those who disagree, but sure. um, we just felt like it was a decision that had to be done. And again, we, we definitely feel like this is an opportunity for the church to rediscover our core mission, which is disciple-making, and to really think creatively about how we can do that uh, with limited means um, in our homes. Um, you know, I think right there. I mean, I think it, there's been tons of research that have indicated clearly that families have largely abdicated the call to make disciples of their children to the church. That, that's a huge mistake. Um, you know, families, we parents need to disciple their own kids. Churches can help and come alongside. But parents ought to be engaged in that uh, discipleship process. Um, we can make disciples over the Internet. We can make disciples in ways that don't require gathering um, in, in places that would put the vulnerable at risk. So for us, this was a way to lovingly care for the vulnerable and to get to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to to uh, discover fresh, creative ways of being the church in ways that the government, coronavirus, no one else can shut down. And that's and everything that you said is is absolutely a hundred percent true. And it's interesting because you know you did that. Um, well, first and foremost, out of the love, like you say, to to keep people from that risk. Um, and then say, okay, well, let's see what, what creative things or what comes out of this. How can we do things differently? And what we've seen now is, and, and all of the places that I've heard from everywhere, um, my own church included, that is doing online stuff. Um, first of all, the online services are seeing in, in many places three times the amount of views and, and people viewing those than they would if you were just meeting in a building. So you're getting more exposure. Um, churches that have never really seen, yeah, I don't know if I'll do online. Now they're forced to do it and they're seeing more exposure people to the gospel. Um, and not only that, but like what you just referenced is, you know, that idea that, hey, as long as we have these buildings with these programs set up, people are coming to, um, it's just set into people's hearts that um, the family aspect falls to the wayside, you know, well, we'll go to church on Sunday and the kids are at youth group and whatever. So they're kind of learning. And now that those things are not in person established and the families are, are more at home together, that family unit and the those in the Christian families um, are being forced in some ways to come back together, gather back together. Um, and it's just, again, just going back to those opportunities that we're seeing that are actually in, in many, many ways, honestly, more exciting growth and more exciting um, opportunities than when we had all the churches operating every single Sunday with a service time. Um, mm. It's just, it's just, yeah, I, I, my, one of my fears, and I don't want to necessarily call it a fear because I'm not scared about this, but one of my fears would be, one of my concerns would be, I should say, is that it would be easy for all of us just to go back to the old status quo. And we kind of said that yeah. earlier, but when we get everything opened up again, a few weeks go by, everybody, oh man, we missed everybody. But then it's just back to the same old, the same old. And everybody kind of settles back into the cruise control. And I don't know how to overcome that, but I, I hope that we can all be looking, keeping our eyes wide open right here and right now so that when it does come, we're prepared. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, kind of 
jumping back to the mission trip conversation we had a minute ago, um, I can't tell you how many times I've been on mission trips and come back thinking uh, I'm just I'm just not going to live the way I used to live. Right. Um, you know, you 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 you're convicted about things like simplicity and generosity and you know wanting to live your life for something bigger than we we typically do and um and and what I've discovered is if I don't if I don't prayerfully sit down very very quickly and make concrete plans to do things differently mm. to turn off this internet service or, or, or TV service or whatever, or to start giving more, whatever it may be that I felt convicted while I was on the mission trip. If I don't actually take concrete steps to do it differently, I forget about it within two weeks and I go right back to where I was. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think that is a danger here. It could be just like a short term mission trip. We all think in these great lofty thoughts of how we're going to do things differently but if we as and I will, and I'll put the onus on us as leaders, bishops, superintendents, pastors, I think we've got to lead our people during this season to say, God has given us a window of opportunity. If all we do is just shift from what we were doing live to doing it on the internet, and then wait until this season passes and go back to doing it live, we will miss an incredible opportunity to make real changes about the way we're doing life and, and doing the work of the kingdom. Yeah. This is the time that, that with those habits can be established, and it does take time to form habits. And so I like what right. uh, Pastor John Mark Comer from Portland has called this time as the opportunities of disruption. You know, this idea mm. that our lives have been disrupted, but that opportunity in it. And so the opportunities of disruption give us this chance right now. So if you've always been too busy for, for a quiet time, silence and solitude with God, um, okay, well, now you have the extra time to set that in. And when things come back, oh, my schedule's already full uh, from 7 a.m. Right. to 7.30 or whatever. That's That's right. already been filled, so I can't now schedule things back into that time every day. So it's this is our opportunity to start the habits that when this, when the schedules come back, we'll have already set aside those key pieces. Um, and, and yeah, it's like you say, if we don't, if we just think, oh, that's going to be great, uh, it will, it definitely, it certainly will just fall to the side. So um, yeah. now's the time. That's right. Well, um, as we as we wrap up our conversation, and I just want to think ahead, and <laughs> of course, this situation just shows us how much thinking ahead we can really do um, and plan ahead, uh, as James warns us of, of planning ahead. Um, but uh, when we can, when you think about the future in general of the Free Methodist Church, uh, what images or thoughts come to mind? Yeah, you know, that's very much on the forefront of our hearts and minds right now as bishops. We are we are investing a great deal of energy into leading efforts to evaluate everything we're doing. So one thing I would just simply say is we are very much looking to capitalize on this opportunity to evaluate what we're doing, to determine what um, is unnecessary, that we just need to move on, celebrate that it was great in the past, but we, we need to move on to where God is moving today, not where he was moving yesterday. Um, and then secondly, if it's broken, we've got to fix it. And, and if it doesn't exist, we've got to create it. And so, you know, I, I think we've got to remove things or impediments. We've got to look for opportunities. Um, but I think 
I do believe this is going to be a season of, uh, of making some of those kinds of critical changes. Um, you know, I, 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 th- I will say this. I think we definitely need great clarity in terms of our values. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got a great mission statement. We've got these great strategic initiatives. The piece that we feel is maybe missing are a, a cl- clear values that we can say, yes, this is what defines us as free Methodists. Mm. We, we feel like there's a little bit of a identity crisis in the free Methodist church. Part of it is, is because we are a kingdom people, which I love. I love that we're a kingdom people, but there's a sense in which we've become so kingdom that we've, we've begun to, I think maybe to, uh, I mean, if we believe that God raised up free Methodists, and that there is still a reason for the Free Methodist Church to exist. And there must be something unique, distinct about who we are that is our special offering to the global church. But we've got to we've got to nail that down and say this is what these are the values that we as Free Methodists live by. And this is what holds us together. Because right now there does seem to be this sense of such disconnect. Um, that there's not a common sense of who we are. So I think clarity of identity uh, is something we certainly do want to recover and then to examine everything we're doing in terms of how we live out those values in the, in the world. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that's definitely a good a direction to go, go move in and, uh, and all of us uh, getting on board with that. And I know that this summer will be interesting as many annual conferences are, are postponed, canceled, or somewhere in between. And uh, so trying to get everybody um, on the same page. But again, that just comes down to um, b- being a little more, uh, maybe a little more inventive than we have in the past. Um, uh, but certainly by no means um, are any of our restrictions now going to stop us moving forward from the things that you've been talking about from getting the church together. And again, even if even if the um, impossible happened that the government said churches couldn't meet, that just means in buildings. So, uh, you know, homes and all those types of things. Uh, uh, this time just shows us that any restriction put on the church is not going to restrict Christ's church, uh, the people, from moving forward. And we see now in this time, even more than ever, uh, a moving forward and a spreading of the gospel that has not been seen um, in many years. And so uh, we look forward to the future and we look forward to all of that um, and uh, and hearing more from you and the other bishops and, and following after your lead on, on our identity and how we can best reach more people with the gospel. Thank you, brother. It's been great to be with you. And uh, yeah. I look forward to next time. Okay, thank you. Thank you.